registrar of the Sephardi Bet Din and Rosh Kollel at Tiferet Eyal. He's currently studying towards a Dayanut qualification. And I, I, I know this isn't in the bio, but in one of his recent tests, he got 98%, which I can't even imagine what that number is. Uh, he's doing a Dayanut qualification through Eretz Chemda. And he the Montefiore, a, through the Montefiori Endowment. Through a Montefiore Endowment. And uh, first class honours degree in law from King's College London. Uh, he is also rabbi-elect of Lauderdale Road Synagogue, which is now official news. Unfortunately, we're losing Rabbi Kada in Northwest London. But uh, it's definitely a big gain for the Lauderdale Road community. Um, and uh, today, tonight, Rakada will be giving us uh, a very special approach towards a topic that I've, I've definitely struggled with uh, throughout the years with regards to human free will versus the omniscience of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Rakada, the stage is yours. Thank you so much, Sina, for the very kind introduction. Just before I begin, uh, I hope my internet connection is stable. Um, I'm speaking to you all from the Cotswolds uh, in Gloucestershire, where Baruch Hashem, we've had incredible weather over the last few days. We arrived here on Sunday and going back on Friday. Um, and, uh, you know, when Sinner wants something from you, you can't really resist. And so, although we scheduled this a few weeks ago and I tried to get out of doing a, a shiur on the 12th of August during my holidays, I didn't have much, uh, uh, much choice. But here I am, therefore, in my slightly casual attire, more casual than, than usual when I give my shiurim, but it's still, uh, it's still a pleasure to see everyone here, um, and especially uh, Rabbi Dr. Levy and everyone else who, who I know here and as well. Um, and thank you for joining. Sina, I have to say to you, Chazak Baruch for this amazing, amazing group you together, Avi Gassner, put together. Just hearing the names that are coming up, Tzvizar uh, and Shmuli Phillips, fantastic. And Bezat Hashem, this will be the beginning of the journal as well, which I'm really looking forward as well to be part of. Um, this is all amazing news and something which we Sfaradim need, uh, not just here in England, but across the world. So Chazak Baruch and Bezat Hashem, you continue to do amazing work for uh, the Sfaradim and all of Am Israel. Um, just one correction, Sina. I'm not going to be, there's not going to be a loss to Northwest Sender because I'm still going to be involved giving Shurim Bezat Hashem. So, uh, yes, I'll be in Lord of the Lord, but we'll still be very involved uh, with the wider community of Bezrat Hashem. Okay, so without further ado, let's get into, right into this topic. So I want to share with you, Sfaradi approaches, Sfaradi specifically approaches, to the old age question of human free will v. God's omniscience. So... This is, as I'm sure you all know, this is a question any thinking person would have thought of sometime through their lifetime. Um, this question troubled me a lot when I was a teenager. It was something I used to think about a lot and I used to speak to lots of people about. Because if we can't get this clear, then it really makes all of our life choices, sometimes we feel, may be worthless. And so let's start right from the beginning. We have to face up to it. We know that our ability to choose is what makes us human, right? Human beings are in many ways similar to all other mammals. And one of the crucial differences that we have to the rest of the animal kingdom is our ability to choose. And we're going to read this in a few weeks' time in the Torah, in Pashat Vayon, just sharing the screen. If you have a look, and this is in Parshat Nitzavim Vayelech, in Parshat Nitzavim to be most precise, the Torah tells us, 
ראה נתתי לפניך היום את החיים ואת הטוב ואת המוות ואת הרע. I put before you life and good, death and bad. I'm commanding you to go in the ways of Hashem, etc. העידות, in verse 19, העידות יבחם היום את השמיים ואת הארץ. I testify in front of heaven and earth, החיים והמוות נתתי לך ברכה והקללה. I've given you life and death, blessing and curse, good and bad, ובחרתה בחיים. And you shall choose life in order that you shall live, you and your descendants. There are two things you see in this verse. Number one you see is that the ability to choose is in the Torah. The Torah is clearly telling us that we have the ability to choose. It's not something which is, as some scientists may argue, something which we are, you know, we don't really choose. We're preordained how we, how we decide things. Torah is clearly telling us that we have the ability to choose. And the Torah also says, these are the key words, so that you shall live. When we choose, we live. It's the ability to choose which gives us that feeling that we are human beings. Suppose, let me give you the following uh, two scenarios. Suppose you go to a cafe every day, same cafe each morning, you have your tea there, and one day you come in there, you're a young teenager deciding what to do with your life, and you walk in there and someone forgets a book that talks about, let's say, how good it is to be a doctor. A book all about how amazing it is to become a doctor. And you pick it up, and you're interested, and you read it, and from, the, from this book, you get so interested, you decide you want to become a doctor, and you go on with life, and that's what you become. You become a doctor due to this random book which nature had it that you picked up in the uh in in the in the cafe and that's how your life pans out you chose contrast this with a similar but very different scenario your your parents are desperate for you to become a doctor but you have shown you know you're a bit apathetic to becoming a doctor and so one day, your parents know that this is the spot where you go every morning to have your coffee. And before you come in at 8.30, they quietly leave the same book about how amazing it is to become a doctor. They leave it there. They know where your, your spot, where you sit each day, look, facing out of the window. They leave it there, waiting for you to chance upon this book, to read it and maybe change your mind. And that's what happens. You come in, you see this book, say, wow, and you open it and you read it. And again, this has a huge influence upon you and you decide to become a doctor. And that's how your life pans out. Imagine 20 years later, you find out what happened. You find out that someone, your parents or someone else, someone purposefully put that book there to intend to manipulate you, to try to make you choose to become a doctor. Now, if you've had a successful career, perhaps you won't have so many regrets, but you can imagine someone turning around and saying, that wasn't my own free choice to become a doctor. I feel manipulated. And contrast this to the first case where you yourself have actually, you've chosen. It happened to be something natural, that this book was there and you found it and uh, you, know, you picked it up and you read it and that influenced you. That we don't have a problem with. But natural events that happen to us in our life, although they have an effect on us, we don't, have, we don't mind that, and we're happy. We still feel autonomous. But when other people try to manipulate us, other entities try to manipulate us, 
we feel we're losing our autonomy and this makes us feel subhuman. An essential part of being a human being is the ability to choose to be, author, to be the author of your life and to choose what you're doing. And therefore, free will is something so essential, something so important in our life. Everyone can hear me, by the way? Is the, the connection stable, Sina? Perfect. The connection stable, yeah? Perfect, yep. Good, good. So that's clear how important it is. And what's very interesting is that Harambam, he doesn't count free will as being one of the Yudgimel Ikarim. You would think something so fundamental as the ability to choose something which makes us so human, this would be one of the 13 Ikarim. It's not. And there have been various approaches in the Mefarshim to explain why the Rambam omitted Behira as being one of the Yudgimel Ikarim. The most famous approach which most of the Mefarshim give is that Harambam includes free will in the 11th Ikar. The 11th principle is Sakhar Va'onesh, reward and punishment. Now, reward and punishment would be meaningless if we didn't have free choice, right? You don't punish your one-year-old baby because you know they don't have the ability to choose. If your microwave cooks you a nice supper, you're not going to pat it and say, and thank you, and thank it, and give it a reward because you know it's been programmed to do that. It hasn't got the ability to choose to do it or not to do it. So, you know, you're not going to reward or punish it. Only something which has the ability to choose between good and bad, between beracha or krala, blessing and curse, between hayim and mavit, life and death, only something like that do you give reward if it does the right thing or you give punishment if it does the wrong thing. So nikhlal, included, incorporated within the 11th ikar of their being, uh, reward and punishment must be, same mefarshim, the idea that there's also behira, because in abehira, the whole Torah, the whole reward and punishment of Torah would, would, be, would be meaningless. And our lives would be meaningless. Judaism as a religion and all religions would be meaningless. If we can't choose, then what's the point of, of Torah? There's no point to it. We're just pre-programmed robots. This, by the way, is what the Hachamim mean when they talk about the Yetzir HaTov kicking in at, at Bar or Bat Mitzvah, 13 or 12. You know, what does this mean? That 13 or 12, you have the Yetzir HaTov. You have the positive and good inclination. Well, until then, you can't do good. Of course you can, obviously. What does it mean at 13 or 12, a boy and a girl get Yetzir HaTov? What this means is, is that at that age, you now have the ability to choose. The ability to choose only fully cooks, kicks in when a child reaches majority. In fact, it's the other way around. This is, the why, this is why the age of Bar Bat Mitzvah is 12 or 13, because at that age, boys and girls can now choose and take responsibility. That's what we mean when we say the Yetzirah Tov. Yetzirah Tov is your ability to choose. That's what life is all about. And until then, you're not responsible for your actions because you can't choose really. You're doing things, but you're programmed to do it. You just see this how you're brought up by your parents. It's when you're 12 or 13, that's when you can start to think independently, who am I, what's going to be my identity for life? That's one uh, explanation given why the Rambam omitted uh, uh, free will as one of the 13 Karim. Another approach, which I saw in Rabbi Sachs a few years ago, is actually a nice idea, is that the 13 Karim are principles which relate us to God, to reward and punishment, to, to the mitzvot, etc. If you go through the 13 Karim, there are all things which 
we have to believe in God. We have to believe in Torah. We have to believe in God's ways. Whereas, Sakhar Vahonesh, sorry, Behira, free will, is the only one which is actually belief in ourselves. So we human beings have the ability to choose that we can believe in ourselves, the power and the ability that we have to formulate our autonomous lives. Baruch Rabbi Phillips. Thank you for joining. We just heard that you're going to be one of the one of the special guest speakers coming up in the next few weeks. Oh, thank you. Heard. Sorry, sorry, I'm late. <laughs> okay, fine. So that's clear. So so we've established so far bechira. We've established the importance of bechira. How our entire Torah is predicated on our belief in, in in free will. How it's written in the Torah and how it's incorporated in the Rambam's principles and how it's it's tell me it's all of our Torah. At the same time, we know that Kadosh Baruch Hu is cognizant of our deeds. So that's the Rambam. We talked about Rambam in the 11th Ikar. The 10th Ikar, Rambam writes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows our actions and he hasn't abandoned us. Part of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Hashgacha is that he knows what we're doing. And not just he knows what we're doing now in the present, he knows everything. He knows the past, he knows what we've done, he knows the present, and he knows what we're going to do in the future. <clears throat> if he wouldn't know what we're going to do in the future, then seemingly there would be an imperfection, says Baruch Hu. So it must be that he knows everything. He knows the past, the present, and the future. And so this is the old age question which all theologians, whether it's Jewish ones, Christians, Muslims, have all really struggled with. How do we reconcile this contradiction? On the one hand, free will is so important. Our Torah is predicated on free will. On the other hand, how do we reconcile that with Akadosh Baruch Hu's knowledge of the, of the future? He must know the future, otherwise he's imp imperfect. So God's omniscience seemingly contradicts Akadosh uh, Baruch Hu's uh, our human being free will. So which one are we going to have to give up on? Or can we actually keep both and still come out both intact and still having full free will and still Akadosh Baruch Hu having full omniscience and uh, knowledge of our actions? So what I'm going to do is going to share with you four approaches in our hachamim, Sfaradi hachamim, four approaches amongst them, how they dealt with this question. There are different schools of thought in different religions. Islamic scholars, at the mo most of them, you know, we don't want to generalize, but on the whole, they were fatalists. Fatalists means that they, they were prepared to deny human freedom. They were prepared to say that human beings Basically, we're pre-programmed. We can't take away from Akadosh Baruch Hu, from God's uh, uh, perfection. He has to know what we're going to do. So we have to sacrifice human beings' uh, free will. And everything which we do, basically, it was going to happen anyway. You know that person who you helped, you gave a pound to, uh, who was on the streets, who was collecting some money to go and buy a sandwich? Had you not given it, someone else would have given it to him. It make, your actions make no difference, which is extremely, extremely defeating. It makes, a, it makes you question what life is all about if everything which you do has really no effect, whether for the good or for the bad. For the bad as well. I, I hurt someone, even if I hadn't hurt him, someone else would have hurt him. In Christian theology, you have the same idea, which is uh, accentuated mostly by, uh, in, in Calvinism. In Christian theology with Calvinism, John Calvin in the 16th century he created the idea where God is fully omniscient and he's elected certain people to be saved through no merit of their own. The rest of mankind is doomed. 
and those people who are saved, they are programmed to do the right thing, everyone else is doomed. Again, a very fatalistic approach and one which we would, would struggle to accept. Robert, I'll come to you, I'll come to questions soon, Robert, if, if that's okay. Um, so how do our hachamim approach this issue? So let me just say, before we get into the four approaches, Rabbeinu Bahaya ibn Pakuda. So it's not to be confused with the other Rabbeinu Bahaya, the later one. Uh, beginning of the 11th century, in Chovot HaLevavot, Duties of the Heart, this is in Chele Gimel, Perek Shmini, so it's 3.8. I don't have, I, I couldn't get away, as I said at the beginning, so I couldn't bring up all the texts as I usually do, but I'll, I'll quote you all the Mekorot, so you can look at them afterwards if you wish to. This is Chovot HaLevavot, Perek Gimel, sorry, This question, and his response is, I don't have a response. That's what he says. He says, this question is beyond man's capacity, and you have to rely on faith somehow that the two can be reconciled. And he adds in, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew that the knowledge of, this solution, of the solution to this problem was necessary, he would have told us about it. He would have told us. If it was important for us to know the answer to this question, he would have let us know. We don't know the answer. Obviously, it can't be that important, so don't spend too much time thinking about it. Get on with life. Accept the two. He's not going to sacrifice any of the two. He's not going to sacrifice our free will. He's not going to sacrifice the Kadosh Baruch Hu's omniscience. Somehow the two go together. We just have to believe it. And if we really need to know the answer, Kadosh Baruch Hu will be able to trust the answer. Baruch Hashem, throughout the centuries, we were a So the first approach, which I think is the most basic one, and I think this is offered a lot by people questioning who have these questions and struggle with this, with this issue. This is the approach of Rav Sadia Gaon. Rav Sadia Gaon, this is actually a, uh, was um, also a, a, a popular approach in Islamic thought as well. So Rav Sadia Gaon was, was one of the Gaonim from Babel, of course, uh, late 10th century. He was the first rabbi to write a systematic book on theology. Emunot Vedeot, Beliefs and Opinions. Uh, theology throughout the Talmud is scattered, and he was the first one to actually structure it. Um, and he was, of course, a fierce opponent to the Karaites of his time, to the Karaim. So he says, look, we have full free will, and still God knows our choice, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu's knowledge is not, it's not determinative, it's not causative. So what this means is, is that God knows the end product of all my deliberations and considerations before I decide what to do. It's I who's deciding, just Hashem knows what I'm going to decide in the end. So, I tonight, I'm going to have a, 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 a I'm, not, I'm going to have a choice. Should I, uh, should I learn something extra this evening, or should I spend the evening uh, playing a game? Yeah, I've got a choice in front of me, and I'm going to now Deliberate, I'm going to choose one over the other. Whilst I'm choosing, I have free choice what I'm going to choose. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, his knowledge, his perfect knowledge knows after all of my deliberations. He knows what the end product of my choice will be, what I'm going to choose to do. This still means that whilst I'm choosing, I have the ability to choose, just that he knows what I am going to choose. Who's happy? Put your hands up, please. Uh, for those who have a video, those who don't, you can uh, raise your hand. If you're happy with this approach, and this 
you know, if you, if you feel that this is something which is, uh, uh, satisfies you and it quells all your questions, put your hand up if you think it's if it's an appropriate approach. Itamar says yes. Sinna says yes. Asaf, Neil, okay, everyone's happy with it. Who doesn't? Who who doesn't like this approach? Who finds a problem? Asaf, you put your hand up before. Um, it's Ohad. Ohad put up his hand now. They're brothers, Rav. Yeah, we look the same. Sorry, I missed that. So I repeat, please. I, missed, I lost the connection. I said they're brothers. Ohad had his hand up. Asaf had it later. You got them confused. So Asaf said, so tell me why you're not happy, Asaf. Okay, it's not working. I hope it's... I hope everyone can hear me. Can everyone hear me, yeah? I can hear you. I'm not happy. I can't hear you, Asaf. Ohad's not happy, I think. Nope, not happy. It's basically just... Not happy, why? Tell me why. It's answering... I mean, it's not really answering the problem at all. It's just... God... God still knows the he's just pushing it off till the end okay i i i i missed that i i'm sorry i obviously can't hear people um it was a very bad connection but I just hope everyone can hear me still um so i'm not sure what you said Ohad, but my personally me my issues with this approach is that i don't know if you were saying this is that at the end of the day, when I'm there choosing between good and bad, I know in the back of my head that Kadosh Baruch Hu knows what I'm going to choose, right? So it makes my choice again meaningless because I know deep down, I know someone there already knows what I'm going to choose. So whatever I choose, whether I choose good, whether I choose bad, my choice is meaningless. Kadosh Baruch Hu already knows what I'm going to choose. It just makes... All of our choices are so difficult because deep down I know that God knows what I'm going to choose. And furthermore, why the need to go through all of this? If Hashem already knows the outcome of all our decisions, He knows what we're going to choose, then, then why, uh, why have to go through all of it? Right? So, look, if some people are satisfied with this approach, um, but Many others feel that this isn't, it's not satisfactory this because it just pushes the problem further back. So, second approach by the Baal Emunar Rama, Harav Emunar Rama, Rabbi Abraham Ibn Dawood, who was a, uh, a 12th century uh, Hacham, philosopher, astronomer from Cordoba. The Rambam quotes him sometimes in Moreno Vuchim. According to him, Human beings have, have full free will. We have to have full free will because, again, that's what we said at the beginning, that's what makes us human. However, he's willing to say that Akadosh Baruch Hu, in order for us to have free will, in order for us to be able to choose and to have Sakhar Vonesh, Akadosh Baruch Hu, somehow, I don't know how theologically this works, but Akadosh Baruch Hu limits his own foreknowledge 
So HaKadosh Baruch Hu has full knowledge of everything that happens in the universe. His idiyah is one, but just like the Mekubalim talk, he didn't say this, but I'm saying an analogy, just like the Mekubalim talk about how the Tzimtzum, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, he was Mitzamtzam, he held back, and he made the halal, he made the space in which humanity, which the universe could exist, so to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Mitzamtzam, he withdraws and he holds back his ability to know the future in order for us to be able to have Bechira. I'm sure many find this very difficult, and I'm, if you were to say this, people would probably find this quite heretical, um, to say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't know what we're going to choose. Um, but that's what he says, and the Ralbag says the same. Ralbag also argues that HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows all that's going to happen, apart from human beings' ability to choose. Now we'll see later on the Rambam wouldn't accept this in any way. Yeah, we absolutely would not accept this. Because for the Rambam, the idea, the knowledge of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you can't say this. And even leaving the Rambam aside, how can we understand this, that, that you know, the Yerubbono Sharan, the creator of the universe, is able to beam it sometime to hold back and to not to know the future? It's, just, it's very difficult to accept something like that. And don't forget, you know, this is the old question. It's not imperfection that an infinite being can't do something, right? This is the old age question that can HaKadosh Baruch Hu create a stone which he can't lift up? And the answer, of course, is he can't do that. It's not imperfection. He can't do that because he's infinite and therefore he can't create something which he can't lift up. But just because it's a can't, that's semantics. We get tied down with semantics. We think, ourselves, because we're using a can't, oh, there's a problem here. No, he can't do it, and that's not a problem. God can't catch a flu either. That's not a problem. That's not imperfection. Seemingly, the Rambam would say as well, HaKadosh Baruch Hu cannot curtail his knowledge. It just doesn't work like that. It's impossible. But that's how the Ralbag and Rabbi Avonim Ibn Dawood put it. They were willing to say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu curtails his knowledge, and, and that's how we are able to maintain our free will. So the second approach is actually to uh, limit HaKadosh Baruch Hu's knowledge rather than our free will. Yes, more. do you have a question? It's, it's not a question, um, if you can hear me clearly. I think, I think, it's, actually, I think it's actually very tidy how, how they approach this in the sense of that. So my initial response was, how, does, how, do, how do they get around God's omniscience? How can he not know? But of course, how can he know something that's not, it's quite, I believe it's, he, can't, he can't know something that's not yet happened, so to speak. I was thinking you can either, as uh, the best to type. It's, type? It's, on, it's on and off. I don't know why I can't hear people. It's on and off. Ah, okay. But it's fine. I can hear you. I can hear you now. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. It's not, it's not worth it if it's going to chop. Okay. It'll be... Maybe if you could send in the text, everyone. I'm sorry. I want to yeah, put a text in, Maud, because I, I was following that. That seems really a very interesting point. So please type it up while <laughs> we're speaking. Text. No, please do text. I'll, I'll, I'll just, try. I'm in the countryside, so the connection's not great. But let's uh, please do text so we can see. Okay. Um, before we come to the Rambam's approach, which is the main approach, that's the fourth one, um, let's just say one more, and that's of, of Hasdei Kreskas. Of Hasdei Kreskas is in Or Hashem, 2-4. Uh, Hasdei Kreskas is 14th century, Catalonia. He uh, was 
he didn't always agree with the Rambam. He was a critic of the Rambam's Aristotelian philosophy. He distinguishes, interestingly, and this is the closest we get to an idea of fatalism in Judaism. This is the closest we get. So he goes the other way. So, so far we have a Sajigon who's trying to balance the two. Then we have Ralbag uh, uh, sacrificing Akadosh Bechudum Nisans. Let me go to the other side, where we have Rav Kreskas, who wants to actually say a version of, uh, of faith. Not the faithism, let me explain what he says. Most philosophers, most of our, of our hachamim were indeterminists, which means that we assume full psychological, full free, moral freedom, you know, we blame ourselves for doing something wrong. We blame others for doing something wrong. We, we, uh, we look up to people who do good things. We take responsibility for the good and the bad which we do. Determinists, on the other hand, they argue that we can only imagine that we are free to choose. Every one of our choices is determined by, our, by loads of things, by our character, by our genes, our environment, our culture, our society, all other factors. And if you, a human being would struggle to do this, but who knows, you know, one day when we're gonna, when as technology develops, it's maybe possible. But if you are able to take into account a human being's, all of these factors, hereditary factors, social factors, cultural factors, all these types of things, and you put them together, it's possible from the outside to predict accurately beforehand the choice a person will make. Do you get this? So yes, a person has the free will to choose, and he is choosing. But this choice is a very limited type of choice. This choice is basically you programmed from, from your history, your own history, not because someone has programmed you to do it. From your own upbringing, from your genes, from your culture, from everything around you, you are going to choose X over Y. That's just how, if we, could, if we could get together all the information, we could know externally what you're going to choose. This is very different to fatalism. Fatalism believes everything is preordained, right? So let's take an example. I have a choice to kill or not to kill. I decide not to kill. So the indeterminist, which is most of the, our, our hachamim, I had, well, they'll tell you, I had the choice to do both, and I chose not to kill. I could have chosen to kill. I chose not to kill. Hazako Baruch, you'll get rewards for that. The fatalist on the other extreme will tell you that it was ordained from heaven for me not to kill. That's not what Chasdei Kreskas is saying. He's saying something in between. He's saying that what the determinist will tell you is that I had the ability and the choice to kill or not to kill. I did have that choice. But because of my background, because of all the other factors in my life, I had to choose not to kill. I had no option but to refrain from killing. Right? So this, says of Hasdei Kreskas, is how we explain how we have free will, but still Kadosh Baruch Hu knows the outcome of our decision. Because Hashem knows all the details that go into us making a choice. He knows all our background and all our every single prat, every single detail, to know how we will decide. But we still have the free will to decide what to do, albeit that this free will is based on our past choices and events. So, how's that?
Sorry, I missed that. So, did, did, yeah, did we? I think we should text questions into the chat because it yeah. seems to be, yeah. Okay. So, so does everyone get that this third approach? This is the closest we get to, to the best of my knowledge. To the best of my knowledge, this is the closest we get to sacrifice of human of human free will. Basically, what he's saying, Hasdeh Kreskas is basically saying, is that, to the best of my knowledge, I don't know any Jewish philosopher who's a fatalist. I don't think there is. Rabbi, maybe Rabbi Phillips can, can, can tell us at the end if he knows. I don't know anyone who's a, who's a fatalist. But I think this is the closest you get to it, of Hasdeh Kreskas, who's saying that you do have free will, but that free will is a conditioned free will. And... Hashem, who he can know how you're going to choose. And that's what we mean, he knows what you're going to choose. You have free will, but taking into account everything, you're going to have to choose one over the other. Now, again, this is extremely difficult because really, it is a philosophical way of saying that you basically don't have free will. Um, oh, I, I think yeah, basically, yeah. Sorry, it, it, you mean isn't it the exact same thing as fatalism? Yeah, determinism is the opposite of fatalism. So determinism means I can choose. I am deter. I'm the. Yeah, it's very similar. It's somewhere in between. Look, it's. It's still that you are, it's not like fatalism are being ordained to do something. You're still choosing to do, but you have to choose due to your background. So it's still very difficult for me to understand how you can say that there's how you can say this Sakhar Varnish. You know, where's the reward and punishment? So there's a very interesting group of Desla which ties into this, which I'll which I'll share with you at the end if we have time, which totally goes against this of Hasde Kreskas, totally. Although he incorporates elements of this of Chastei Kreskas into his thought. And that, I think, makes a lot of sense. I'll mention that at the end if we have time. But this is the third approach, which is willing to sacrifice human free will in order to uh, maintain HaKadosh Baruch Hu's omniscience. Let's go to the fourth approach, and this is the main approach. I think this is the most convincing. Um, um, let, let's, um, I'll get to all the questions at the end, okay? So let me just share with you the, the fourth approach of Harambam. And uh, and then we'll and then we'll take we'll, we'll go through all the questions in the chat box. So let's start so to understand the Rambam. You have to see in Choti Sodea Torah. So let's share the screen. Share the screen. Where's it gone? There it is. Okay. So. Let's see Arambam in Yesodea Torah in Perek Bet Halachayud. Says Arambam, Akadosh Baruch Hu, I'm going to read the Hebrew, but you can read the English as well. Akadosh Baruch Hu, Makira Mitov Yodai Otok Moshim. God knows his essence. His knowledge isn't an external one like human beings. We have, I'm myself, and I have my knowledge. We're not one. Him, his knowledge and his essence 
אוואן מכל צד ומכל פינה ובכל דרך ייחוד. שאלמלא היה חי בחיים ויודע בדיעה חוץ ממנו, if there was him and his knowledge, היו שם אלוהות הרבה, הוא ואחר ודעתו. ואין הדבר כן, אלא אחד מכל צד ומכל פינה ובכל דרך ייחוד. נמצאת אתה אומר, הוא היודע, והוא הידוע, והוא הדעה עצמה הכל אחד. He knows, he is the knowledge, and he is the knowledge of one. And then the Rambam says the crucial words. דבר זה אין כוח בפה לאומרו ולא באוזן לשומרו ולא בלב לאדם, להכירו הבוריו. This is impossible for human beings to say, to hear, or to fully understand. It's, it's, it's so difficult for us, who we don't have this yichud, this unity in our lives, to be able to understand and to appreciate this idea that Kadosh Baruch Hu himself and his knowledge is one. They're not two separate things, it's all one. Not, yeah, if you don't fully understand that, that's absolutely fine. The Rambam didn't fully understand it either. Basically, the Yechud Hashem, the unity of God dictates that everything which is, every attribute, everything of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is all part of Him. It's not that it's Him and His knowledge. His knowledge is Him, which is why the Torah never says, Chei Hashem, by the life of Hashem. Because the life of Hashem means, implies, there's two things. There's Hashem and there's His life. You have Chei right? The life of Pharaoh. You have Pharaoh and you have His life. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Chai Hashem. Hashem and His life are all one. All of His attributes are all one. With that in mind, let's now go to Arambam in Ilchot Teshuvah. Arambam in Ilchot Teshuvah writes, um, Okay, so he this is in Chot Teshuvah, fifth Perek, fifth chapter. Have a look at the first one to four, first while reading it afterwards. He talks about the importance of free will, and then he says, Shema Toma, perhaps you will say, He knows everything. If he knows he's going to be to the if shashir tzaddik, then you don't have free will not to be. Im tomashir dashir tzaddik v'ef shashir rasha. And if you're going to say that it's possible for Hashem to know he's a tzaddik and still end up being a rasha, that means Hashem doesn't know everything. Da. Shetshuvat sheila zu aruka meeret midaur hava miniyam. The answer to this question is is extremely comprehensive. It's extremely wide to understand. Vekam ikarim gdolim vararim ramim turiim ba. And there are great principles and mountains dependent on this. But you have to accept what I'm going to tell you. We've already explained why I just showed you. It's, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't know from a dia which is out of him. It's all one. It's not possible for us to fully comprehend this. Just as it's not possible for us to fully comprehend and understand the essence of God, as it says, a person can never fully comprehend me. Similarly, it's not possible for you to know the knowledge of God. Shaya says, the 
אין בנו כוח לידה, היה ידה הקדוש ברוך הוא, הוא כל הבירועים במעשים? It's not possible for us to know how הקדוש ברוך הוא knows everything, אבל נדע בלא ספק, but we can still know for sure without any doubt, שמעשה האדם ביד האדם, human being a full free will, ואין הקדוש ברוך הוא מושכו. Now the Ravad, who was the Rambam's great critic, the Ravad famously writes on these words of the Rambam. He says, I'll read out to you, I, I couldn't find the Hebrew online, I'll read out to you the English. He says, Rambam didn't conduct himself properly. Because basically he says that, you know, when you're going to raise a difficult question, don't raise the question unless you have a satisfactory answer. Well, you, Harambam, have done, says the Ravad. You've raised the question, and you haven't given an answer. You've asked a terrible question. It's so difficult for us to, to, get, to get our heads around this. And you just say, ah, you know, this question is, is it's as wide as the sea, and there are mountains dependent on it. And just accept that we have free will, and still Hashem knows everything. Why did you behave like this, says the Ravad? Don't ask the question. If you don't have an answer, don't ask the question. And the Ravad goes on to, uh, to, to question the Rambam, and he ends, how does the Ravad end? He says, look, since the Rambam's already brought up this question, I have to answer it. I can't leave this question unanswered. And he goes and answers like of Sadia Gaon, like we said at the beginning. He knows, Hashem knows what we're going to choose, but it's at the end of our deliberation, so it's not determinative, it's not causative. And the Ravad himself, he concludes and he finishes and he says, I, as, I, look, I, as far as I remember, it's something along those words. He says, basically, even this answer is worthless in my eyes. You know, this isn't a good answer. I brought it up, but really, and I'm, I'm going to have to offer a different answer, but even the answer I don't really, I'm not really happy with, but that's the best I have to answer. Now, as many have pointed out, many have pointed out that I think the Ravad here was mistaken. And the Ravad here missed the depth of the Rambam's words. And it's difficult for me to say something like that, because the Ravad, of course, was someone who went to the depth of Rambam's words throughout all of Mishneh Torah. But here it's clear the Rambam means something much deeper. What Rambam here means is that he's saying it's not possible for human beings to understand divine knowledge which is an entity which is totally different from human knowledge, right? So when we talk about knowledge, our knowledge, human knowledge, and we talk about God's knowledge, the word knowledge is a homonym because it means two totally different things. The only similarity between human knowledge and God's knowledge is that they're both not ignorant. That's, that's what we mean when we talk about God's knowledge. But really, God's knowledge is something totally different. What Ramban is mainly saying here is that, and he, he elaborates on this in Moreno Vuchim as well, in Moreno Vuchim, he elaborates on this in... elaborates on this. What all the philosophers mis, made the mistake of doing was to compare Kadosh Baruch Hu's knowledge with human knowledge. When a human knows something, he himself and the object of his knowledge are two separate things. However, Kadosh Baruch Hu's knowledge and his essence are one and the same. 
And just as it's not possible for human beings to grasp HaKadosh Baruch Hu's essence, it's impossible. It's impossible for us to grasp HaKadosh Baruch Hu's knowledge. We, we have to accept that we can't, ex we can't grasp God, God himself. All of God's attributes are all part of him. It's all one. Merciful. Hashem is compassionate. Hashem is truthful. All these attributes all fall under one being, under one essence. Whereas human beings have themselves and have their attributes. Just like we can't know God's essence, we can't know any of his attributes. We can't talk about his mercy. As the Rambam famously writes, when we talk about HaKadosh Baruch Hu being merciful, we don't mean he's merciful. We can't say Hashem's merciful. All that we mean when we say Hashem is merciful is that he's not not merciful. You get that? When we say HaKadosh Baruch Hu is hesed, is kindness, what, what do we understand Hashem's kindness? We can't say Hashem is kind. What we mean is Hashem's kindness and our kindness, when we talk human kindness, they both, they're homonyms. They both mean that we're both not, not kind. That's the closest we can get. But we can't talk about HaKadosh Baruch Hu's kindness. We can't talk about His mercy. We can't talk about His knowledge because His knowledge is part of His essence. Just like you can't talk about His essence, you can't understand His knowledge either. And with this, what the Rambam is saying is that this whole problem, the contradiction between free will and uh, omniscience of Hashem is, is a whole different question. Because if we could know HaKadosh Baruch Hu's knowledge, we would be able to understand how his foreknowledge is not incompatible with human free will. Somehow they are compatible. But for us, with our human knowledge, we cannot understand how free will is compatible with God's foreknowledge. Divine knowledge, even though we, we human beings cannot fully comprehend this, this compatibility, how it goes together. Um, the, I'll just end with this. There's a very interesting Mishnah, which the Tosfot Yom Tov of Hela, Rabbi Hela, points out. There's a Mishnah Perikei Avot which says, very bluntly, Everything is foreseen, Hashem sees everything, yet there's full freedom of choice. And you have to think to yourself, when Hara Avad asked on the Rambam, the Rambam shouldn't have brought up the question if he's not going to answer it. That's what the Mishnah Perikei Avot is doing. The Mishnah says, Hashem knows everything, and yet, you still have full free will. How on earth do these two go together? Says the Tosfot Yom Tov, Rav Hela. He says, this Mishnah is exactly what the Rambam meant. The Rambam means this. This is, this is the, where the Rambam got this from, from this Mishnah. Everything, God's fully omniscient. We don't have to sacrifice God's full knowledge like the Ravag did, like a of Rimi bin Dawood did. Don't sacrifice it. And don't sacrifice your free will either like the Hasidic Reskas did. They're fully compatible with one another. For human knowledge, they're not compatible. We humans cannot understand how they can be compatible. But from a Kadosh Baruch Hu's perspective, from a divine knowledge point of view, they are somehow compatible. That's how they go together. And so that's how he is willing to uh, put the two together 
Uh, and that's what he says. That's where the Rambam got this from. This is the Pshat in the Rambam, this Mishnah. And just like us humans, if you think about it, us humans, just because we know the presence, I'm watching something outside. Imagine I'm looking out of my window now. Look out of your window and you'll see someone walking and you don't know which way they're going to turn. Just because you know what's happening now in the present, that's not determinative. Just because you know what's happening now and you're watching that person walking, it doesn't mean you know what they're going to choose. The knowledge of the present for us humans is not determinative. In HaKadosh Baruch Hu, thought, there's no past, present, and future. There's no, you can't talk about past and future. Our whole problem comes from asking, we are constrained with, within time. And therefore we ask, ah, Hashem knows the future. So how do we have free will in the future? We can't get them together because for us as human beings, we can't understand how, uh, how, how they're compatible because we live in time and we're constrained by future. But, um, but, um, but from a Kadosh Baruch Hu's perspective, past and future is present. And therefore, just like for us human beings, we can understand and we can understand that living in the present, we can see what people are doing, doesn't mean that we know what they're going to choose. So to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is all in the present, he knows what's happening, we still, he still somehow doesn't know what we're going to choose because his knowledge is all in the present and his divine knowledge is somehow compatible with our ability to choose. So to summarize what we've said this evening, and then we'll take questions. I'll go through the questions in the chat box. And what I've said basically is I introduced the importance of Bechira, how fundamental it is in Jewish thought. We went through the Pesukim. We talked about how the, the contrast, how a person can feel so manipulated and so let down when we don't feel that we're choosing. But at the same time, we know HaKadosh Baruch is fully omniscient. So how do we reconcile the two we've given? Which is the first approach we said, Rabbeinu Bahaya, who said, I don't know the answer. Just accept it. Have Pishuta. Accept it, there's no answer. But the four approaches which we've tried to reconcile, number one is of Sadia Gaon, later echoed by the Ravad, that they are compatible. Hashem knows our final choice, what we're going to choose. He knows the future, he knows what we will choose. Second approach, Abraham ibn Dawood, is that uh, they are, Kadosh uh, Baruch has limited his foreknowledge. Third approach of Hasdei Kreskas is that our free will is limited in the sense that um, indeterminacy in the sense that uh, we have the ability to choose, but it's it's social construct, uh, construct of before uh, uh, we don't really have free will. And Hashem knows at the end of uh, taking into account all the factors, genetic, uh, environment, etc. <coughs> he knows what we're going to choose. And in that sense, he knows the future, but we still have the ability to choose. And finally, Harambam's approach, which is to say, there's full free will, there's full omniscience, there's full knowledge, but that knowledge is in your knowledge. You're asking this question because you are thinking from your perspective, from your understanding of knowledge. But God's knowledge is a different knowledge, just like his mercy, his truth, his rahamim, all different attributes, attributes which we can't understand, all parts of Hashem's yichud, his oneness and his unity, his knowledge is part of unity. You can't understand his essence, you can't understand his unity, you can't understand his knowledge. From God's full knowledge, it's possible for them to be compatible because his knowledge is all in the present. 
And just like our knowledge of the present is not determinative, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's knowledge of the present is similarly not determinative. These are four approaches of our Hachamim, which I hope shed light. For me personally, I, the, the Rambam for me makes the most sense from a theological perspective. Rambam wouldn't accept at all to say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mitzamsem his knowledge. Absolutely not. He would never... It's impossible for Rambam to say something like that. What does that mean? You that's an imperfection. It just doesn't make any sense to say that Hashem <laughs> limits his foreknowledge. And I'm very surprised that Rabag would say something like that, to be honest. Because Rabag, we know, was a, was a great philosopher and a great rationalist. And I don't know how... That's what he said. But, uh, but that's how Rambam is somehow putting the two together and he's saying, look, we know there are constraints to our understanding of, of the divine. And we can understand, but... There are constraints to our understanding, and from Akadosh Baruch's perspective, the two are compatible. So let me just go through the questions um, in order. You try to unmute yourself if you want, and we can try to do it. I think you might you might want to pick two or three, just so that just so you don't go too over time. Okay, I'll quickly go through it. If Rambam can't accept him, so how do you explain the fact that we exist separately, separately from him? Ohad's asking, if the Rambam can't accept Timsum, how does he explain the fact that we exist separately from him? Look, I didn't say he doesn't accept Timsum. It's a very good question. I don't know if he doesn't accept Timsum. He wouldn't accept the idea that he's with some his knowledge. Now, how he would get around the idea that, you know, how we human beings exist independently when he is permeates all of all of, uh, you know, everything. That's an interesting question. I mean, Phillips, any ideas on that? What would you say to that? I, I would think that the whole question is based on a premise that Rambam would reject. But the idea that, that we and God cannot coexist without that kind of limitation is, is based on the idea that we and God move in the same kind of realm. We don't understand God's existence at all. So I would say that Rambam would reject the whole premise of the question. We cannot ask that. They cannot say why can we right. coexist because our existence is a, just our knowledge of a different different scale altogether. So, to what do we mean when we say God exists? I think mean, he also is minor looking. If he doesn't not not exist, we cannot understand what it means. But the whole idea of God has to be with some and create the Allah in order for us to exist presumes that, that that we have the same kind of existence and that our existence somehow impedes or. Is a, limit, is a limitation of God's existence. That's what I would have thought. Yeah, I hadn't seen that anywhere. Yeah, yeah, I, I got half of that. I think what you're saying is I like the answer to, to knowledge, so too to existence as well, basically. Same same approach. I didn't fully hear that, but I understand what you're saying. Oh, do you have that hard? Yeah. Okay. Um, I answered the other question, okay. Maud, I think it's quite an interesting approach and perhaps Rambam will define this in the... Has happened yet? So what does that to know? It has to happen, it has, it has to happen to be knowledgeable. Pushes it back, God knows it. So it's happened in some sense, some way. Same as God knows everything. That could be tricky theologically, God, uh, but literally this might be assuming a certain definition of innocence. Okay, interesting Maud, yeah. Again, I don't think Rambam would, would agree to that, but interesting. Um, isn't is himself a phenomenon that situation heavily determines choices? How would those how would those who hold we have Bahira explain that? Oh, very it's a very good asaf. 
Okay, so that, that ties in. Asaf's asking, isn't it an observable phenomenon that situation heavily determines choices? How would those who hold Rav Bechira explain that? So when I, when I quoted of Chasti Kreskas before, he's saying that all of our choices, all of our choices are, 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 uh, are, pre, are basically predetermined. You're right, 100% Asaf, that some of our choices are going to be heavily, heavily influenced by situations, by our past, by our society, by the people, we, our environment, people who find ourselves around. And this is where the famous Rav Dessler, um, Rav says, gives the analogy of the battlefield. He says, let's say there's a battlefield, there's a war between France and England. And, you know, England ha are, have their territory, France have their territory, and we're fighting over this territory in between. So let's say England are successful and they push forward 100 meters. Those 100 meters are now part of English territory. And we're no longer fighting on those 100 meters anymore. Now we can extend the battle to beyond. Now the battle's going to move 100 meters the other way into, into French territory, right? So he says, all of us have places where we have already captured, i.e. English territory, and we have places which are French territory, which we're not going to capture now. In this current situation, we're not going to capture. There are some mitzvot which, based on our past, based on our background, based on the way we've been brought up, we've captured. We're not going to have, I imagine, the vast majority of us here are not going to have a nisayon, uh, are not going to have a, a test, let's say, uh, uh, fasting on Yom Kippur, well, uh, you know, keeping Yom Kippur. Okay? We're not going to question uh, keeping Yom Kippur. It's, it's captured. For many of us, we're, not, we're going to have things in the French territory, which we just cannot get, you know, uh, types of mitzvot which are so far from us, we just can't reach it. It's not even an aspiration which we can have yet, because it's so far off the radar. Then we have things in the middle where we're fighting with on a daily basis. It's on those things where there, there may be some influence, there may be some external influence, but we still have Bechira, we still have free will, right? So the, the, the guy in Meir Sha'arim brought up, he's not going to have Bechira, uh, everything for him is captured to keep Shabbat or you know, to learn or everything. He's got, he's got very far uh, a battlefield, right? The, the person brought up in Brixton, the, you know, for him, it's, it's a choice whether to, uh, to kill or to, or to steal, right? That's his, so of course, there's always going to be a choice. There are going to be parts of our choice which we can't, um, which we can't get, which we just have to, you know, it's something which we can't, uh, we, something which we, we can't aspire to do. Yeah, and there's other things which we just obvious, which we do do. And those things are influenced by our surroundings and by our past, but there's always going to be an element in our lives which is part of choice, and part of free will, and it's that we get reward from or not. Um, I hope that makes sense, Ohad. Um, Beautiful. I think it makes perfect sense. Okay, Sina, you want to end this now? Sorry. Um, I'm just uh, worried about uh, what do you okay. call it? The, the contractual time. Okay, I'm sorry. I agree with Look, everyone. No, no, no. What do you mean? It was we started. We started 8:35 with three minutes of your housekeeping. True. So, true. So. True. Absolutely. No, no. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I, I wish I we could go on. I still kept on an hour. Okay. No, no. It was. I mean, it's it's such. For me, the whole time listening to it, it, it makes me just realize, you know. 
the beauty that on the 12th of August, a random summer August night, we're sitting here and we're supposed to be just atoms. And we're sitting here debating these existential questions and, and trying to figure it out after, you know, 3,000 years of, uh, you know, uh, Israelite development that we're still sitting here debating these questions. That's one thing that stood out, which is just beautiful in and of itself. And the second thing is to see such major theological differences between our hachamim and to think how lost we are, in a way, as a generation that, God forbid, a rabbi or a hacham today would come with a theological chidush and, and what, what that would do to the controversies that would, that would occur as a result of that. That's, so, so on one side, it's so beautiful and I'm so happy to see that we're discussing these things. On the other side, it's very depressing to see that, you know, in previous generations, it would, I wouldn't say there was a free-for-all, but there was this, you know, intellectual rigor and intellectual freedom. investigation into freedom yeah. to determine, you know, what is it? Or to lift up the Torah, not to bring down the Torah and how unfortunately monolithic we have become. But uh, Rav, I, I highly, highly appreciate This is the purpose of the Chabura. This is Absolutely. the Chabura. This is the safe space. This is the safe space. It's a forum. For exactly. For it's a forum for us to think freely, to think freely. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Our guided by our unique Hachamim that unfortunately so many of them haven't been uh, written about. I think, as, as we've seen in the comments, a part two is definitely beckoning. Uh, Rav, huge, huge thank you. Everyone who made it, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bet Midrash. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to rate and review. Have a wonderful day.